Okay, um, so at this time, I'm going to ask everyone to um, stand for the reading of God's Word. And as Pastor Kyle said, um, the text is from Galatians <laughs> 2 to 11. Um, so when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put out our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Amen. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. For if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For the law for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Tracy. So I want to encourage you guys. I have a wonderful resource. If um, the book of Galatians is inspiring you um, to learn more, there's a, there's a book right here called Galatians for You. And it's, um, let's see, it's by, I think it's by Tim Keller, yeah. Um, Tim Keller, Galatians for You. And it's the best, simplest, most succinct um, explanation and application of the book of Galatians that I know of. So it's really, really excellent. So um, if you want to write that down, Galatians for You by Tim Keller. I'm sure you can get, you, I know that you can get it on Amazon, like 10 bucks, it's really good. And if you like Kindles, it's probably like $3. So that's a really great resource um, to have to learn more. Um, shout it out one more. That we, we don't normally do this. I'm, I'm inspired. Okay? For some reason, it's, it's in me. Um, what is the, 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 the main theme of Galatians? This is a harder question. Yeah, someone said it over there. Who said it? Yes, thank you. Packets the hat. Did Pat say it first? They're going to start a fight. I think I said it before you This might start a fight. (laughs) Thank you. All right. I got more hats, by the way. Oh, and by the way, um, for our offering, um, I I put a card in front of the guitar because I've been finding cash in it. 
and that's not a lie. Um, <laughs> so in the guitar, there's all this cash in there. I shouldn't have told anyone because I could have. I could just, yeah, you know. I'm going uh, Five Guys Burgers and Fries, um, <laughs> but not in the guitar on the side of it in the box. And I would love for you guys to join us today at 2 p.m. Um, go home, get some lunch. Um, there's some great restaurants around here. Um, if you want to just go get some lunch and then come back at 2. Or if you're getting your car washed, maybe, um, maybe, it'll, uh, enough, maybe it'll take really long for them <laughs> to wash your car. But um, we would love for you to come back at 2 because if we, if we don't pray, we got nothing. We got nothing to do here. We need God's spirit. We need God to show up. Um, we can't work without him. Work without him is uh, Moses. Um, uh, God told Moses God was really ticked at Israel. And um, he said, all right, I'm not just going to completely wipe them off the face of the earth. I'll send them to the promised land, but I'm not going with them. And, and Moses said, you know what he said? God, if you don't come with us, don't send us. Right? Just keep us on this mountain. We're better off here. And so we need God with us, and we need to pray. We need to pray for our town, for each other, for this church. I hope that you can come back at 2 um, and join us for that, okay? Um, yes, that's it. No more prizes. Here we go. All right. Um, I don't think there's a more uh, important scripture in, in the scriptures, a passage in the scriptures, as far as like instructions on how to live the Christian life, a growing and vibrant Christian life, than the verse that we just read in Galatians chapter 2. And let me remind you of what it is. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Oh, friends, how our problem is just, just right there. We are living, and Christ isn't. We are demanding everything of our expectations, what we want out of life. It's our will be done, right? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Friends, that is sort of the clarion call, the duty of every Christian, right there. Die and believe. We can kind of summarize that in those two words, right? I've been crucified with Christ. I'm not the one living. He's living. So die, let Christ live, and believe that it's better, right? Those are the two things that if we get them right about the Christian life, we will thrive. To die with Christ is to live with Christ, right? And when we do that, we must fully trust, believe, faith that his will is better than our own and that he will provide all things. Amen? Amen. You might have noticed um, the, the display that, that, I, um, that we put up, uh, it feels like about a month ago now. Um, I hope that you can spend some time taking a look at it. It's about um, basically the faith of one man, George Mueller who uh, was um, a missionary. He was a German missionary to England in the 1800s. So he lived from 1805 to 1898, died at 93 years old, ripe old age. Um, in his life, in those 93 years, he cared for over 10,000 orphans. Can you imagine? In Great Britain, in his lifetime. He built five, and there are pictures of the orphans over there and all the buildings that they built. He built five massive orphanages 
that could house 2,000 orphan, orphans at a time. Now this is the 1800s, this is not easy to do in any generation. He received in his lifetime the equivalent of, in today's money, of $139 million. And he never asked for a dime. He did this by prayer alone. He established 117 schools which provided a Christian education to over 120,000 people all in one lifetime. And he faithfully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and modeled his love as a pastor, missionary, and evangelist. If you can get George Mueller's, I'm giving you a lot of resources today, but if you can get George Mueller's autobiography, get it and don't put it down until you're done. It's amazing. And he learned what is the secret to the Christian life. Here are his words. It's written up there too. He says, there was a day when I died. Someone asked him, like, how do you, how, how do you have such a vibrant faith and how do you help so many people? They asked him, like, what's the, what's the secret? And he says, there was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, his preferences, his tastes, his will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the blame or approval of brothers and friends. Isn't that huge? And since then, I have studied to only show myself approved to God. His secret to life and happiness in Christianity was that he died. These two principles in the Christian journey change everything for us. You gotta die. You know, friends, George Mueller went through many, you know, that's the end of his life. You, you know, we have, the, we, we have the advantage of kind of seeing the product long after of all that God did through his life. But there were many, many years where he, where he couldn't rub two nickels together. And he wondered how he was going to fix the furnace. Winter's coming. He's got 300 kids. And he doesn't know how he's going to fix the furnace. And he doesn't, uh, and, and he prays, and he believes, and God provides. Do we pray and believe that God provides like this for us? Have we died to our own will, to our own plans, to our own purpose? We all just, uh, it's, and it's very common, it's common for me too, we all just sort of assume that we're going to get certain things out of life. We want certain things. I want to be married. I want maybe a boat. You know, I'm, I, don't have too, I don't have too many grand visions. You know, I want a boat and I want to be married. I'd like to have a little house, paid off, retire early. We make these demands, and it's all about us. And we wonder why we're unhappy. Because the world can't satisfy the longing of your heart for eternity. To spend yourself on Christ and his glory and not yours. Friends, these two principles in the Christian journey change everything. Our death and surrender to God's will is our happiness. Jesus said it in Mark chapter 8. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We lose our lives all the time for ourselves. We work 90 hours a week so that we can get more money for us right? But that's not what it says here. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me 
and for the gospel will save it. So we got to die, friends. And second, when we have died to self and seek God's will for God's glory, he always provides. So we die and we believe. We trust that the king of glory, his will will be done. And the God of the universe will provide for us the means and the function to do it. Amen? Amen? So do not be afraid, Jesus said in Mark chapter 5. Only believe, because I am the Lord your God. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. Stop filling your own mouths. Let God fill it, right? That's the gospel. That's gospel life. That is gospel living. That is Jesus living. Die and believe. Very simple, isn't it? Die and believe. Oh, but it come, doesn't come easy, does it? Last week we saw in our text the apostles coming to Paul's side. Do you remember that? If you were here last week, there was this problem in the church. Paul goes to the apostles, and the apostles have his back. And now, like sort of on a dime, the situation changes completely. And now he has a problem with the apostles. He's got another story to tell, and it's remarkable. It says in verse 11, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. You know who Cephas is, right? That's the apostle Peter. This is the big dog. This is the guy. This is like the Catholics think he was the first pope. That's how important Peter is. And he was important then, too. He was the chief apostle. So Paul, who kind of came on as an apostle later on, has the nerve to oppose him to his face. The gloves are off. One sentence ago, Peter has Paul's back. And on a dime, Paul jumps to another scene, and it's not so pretty. Because Paul had heard that Peter would eat with Gentiles, Christian Gentiles. Those are not Jews, people who are not Jews at the time in their setting. Peter would eat with, with um, not Jewish Christians, right? But when the Jewish Christians showed up, his buddies came, because Peter was Jewish. His buddies came around, he was like, whoa, yo, I don't know them. Right? I'm not doing that. Put that, you know, put the bacon over there. I don't eat that. <laughs> right? That's what was going on. That's what he would do. So he's mowing that sucker down one minute, but then when his Jewish buddies come around, no, no more bacon. Right? This is what's going on. Paul heard that, P that this was going on, and Peter was doing this. The text says it. Did you miss it? Because he was afraid. He was afraid of what these guys would think. He was afraid of the Jesus plus something crowd. He wanted to be liked. He didn't want problems. He didn't want conflict. Ugh. Right? So he's afraid of the Jesus plus something crowd. Now, I want to I remind you about what, what's really going on, the theology, the doctrine behind this, what's happening. In the law of Moses, there were rules that were meant to demonstrate that we're sinners. Okay? They were sort of like visual aids examples, examples of that we are sinners. So some of these laws included things like this is clean, this is not clean. Right? So this food is clean, this food is not clean. Right? Here's how you, like, if you do this, you're unclean. If you do that, you're clean, right? There's all these different rules that included food. It even included who you ate with, like the Gentiles, right? You can read all about this in Leviticus chapters 11, 15, and 20, right? 
That's what Leviticus is much about what this is about. But this was all an example. This was what scripture says. This was a tutor, a shadow, a teacher. It was meant to teach us a greater reality. Not that food is unclean, but that we are. Right? That was the lesson that we were supposed to get out of it. It was taken too literally by the Israelites. And they said, no, we actually have to follow these food rules if we want to be right with God. And the argument that Paul made is that Jesus Christ fulfilled all the law, so all that stuff that was a shadow is no longer necessary to apply it to the way we worship. Does that make sense? Okay. The reality has come. That which all of those things pointed to has arrived. So we worship Jesus in spirit and truth. And what matters is if our heart is pure and clean. Right? So that's what's sort of happening here. At Christ's coming, we can eat whatever we want. Good news, right? Pass the bacon. Thank God. We can eat whatever we want with whom we want because Jesus fulfilled all those rules that all of it pointed to. There are no longer examples pointing to a greater reality because Jesus is that greater reality. And Peter knew it. Here's the problem. Peter wasn't like, oh, I, he couldn't plead ignorance. He was like, I didn't know. You know, like we can do that sometimes and get away with stuff. But you know that saying, it's e easier to ask permission than, or no, it's easier to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. We can get away with it. We just plead ignorance. I'm sorry, I didn't know. But that, that was not the case. Peter knew what he was doing. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 11, by, by the way, he was one of the first people to know about this. Because in Acts chapter 11, he had a vision, right? And in that vision, it said, Peter, kill and eat. Do not call unclean what God has called clean. Acts chapter 11, right? Of anyone who, it's, who is supposed to know this, it was Peter. And then Acts chapter 15, because everyone's sort of like, like little angry bees about this, because everyone's eating with Gentiles and eating pigs, and what the heck's going on, right? Acts chapter 15, Peter stands up in front of the, all of the Jewish leaders and says, Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe it. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Not by what they ate. Not by what they sacrificed in the temple. Not by calling themselves Jewish, right? Peter started eating. He was the first one to start eating with Gentiles because God had showed him that they were made clean by faith in Jesus, not by rule-keeping, just like them. Because they were made faith, made clean in Jesus by faith and not by rule-keeping. Rule no one, here's the principle, no one is unclean in Jesus. Mm. We are all purified, we are all forgiven, forgiven of sin, so we are free. So, but certain Jews, they just weren't having it, right? Christian Jews, they just didn't like this. They had to keep things going, right? So after some pressure, um, Pressure was mounting, and Peter started caving. And we're all, we can all be tempted to this, by the way. We're all flesh and blood. After some pressure, Peter was more afraid of them than Jesus. So when they were around, he didn't eat with the Gentiles. It was just easier, right? So let's ask a question. Who's more important to us than Jesus? Because wh however we answer that question, we're going to start obeying that than Jesus. Right? Their word is going to start becoming more important. Paul reminds Peter of three things 
Let's nail this. Let's knock this out of the park. Paul reminds Peter of three things that will change your life and mine if we apply them. Right? I already mentioned two. Walk straight, die, and believe. Walk straight, die, and believe. Verse 14, walk straight. I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. All of this sort of, I'm going to eat with you today and not eat with you tomorrow, that is not in line, Paul says, in truth with the gospel. So he had to oppose Peter to his face. Peter wasn't just being rude, <laughs> right? His, his actions contradicted the Jesus plus nothing gospel. He was not walking in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know that the text literally says that Peter was not ortho-walking. You know how an orthodontist makes your teeth straight? That's what ortho means. Wow. They weren't walking straight with the gospel. Our job every day is to consider the implications of the gospel and how we live and how we behave and how we think. Right? To walk in line, to walk straight with the gospel. The truth of the gospel is this, if I can just remind you. Okay? We are weak and sinful, and we seek to fix our lives by saving ourselves, being our own saviors and lords. Right? But God's law, we cannot fulfill, only Jesus fulfills it for us, and we are now accepted only by Jesus' work, even though we remain weak and sinful. Isn't that good? That's the gospel. We need to constantly align our hearts and our thinking with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am a sinner saved by grace, undeservedly. Right? Jesus plus nothing. That means that I shouldn't be offended by someone because of the color of their skin, because they make more money or less money than me, because none of that earns anyone's salvation or makes us right with God. Only Jesus does. Jesus is our only boasting point. Amen. You see, and if that's true, then that should affect the kind of people that we actually have at our barbecues in our backyard. Right? We'll get to that in a second. Our hearts need to be aligned with the gospel. And sometimes, isn't it true that we hit some, some non-gospel potholes and, and our wheels start wiggling and we need an alignment? We need to remember the gospel, remember what it is. Peter was undermining the gospel through this idea that you needed to add law or people please, or you needed to elevate the importance of politics to be right with God. They became his Lord, right? Fear and nationalism and legalism. And this for us, I think, can be very, very subtle, and maybe sometimes not so subtle. Different theology. Right? Oh, that's the person that speaks in tongues? I don't agree with that. I don't really like that they're kind of sitting in our church with us. Right? But they believe in the same gospel of grace by, through faith, the Jesus plus nothing gospel that you do, and they'll live in the kingdom forever with you. And you're better because you're still in your worship and they do jumping jacks? <laughs> Who cares? Right? Different theology, different class, different politics. This one's a Democrat, and I'm a Republican. Different worship styles, as we just mentioned. 
Or how about just different values? You know, some people overwork, get up early, strive for excellence and perfection, and make, make lots of money. And other people are more laid back. They drive a forklift, and they're content with backyard cookouts. So who's in your backyard cookout? Only plumbers and truck drivers? Right? You see, you see the point? Often we look at our differences, and we think, oh, I know better than them. And really underneath that, what we're really saying is, I am better than them. Isn't that true? Peter would have ticked off these so-called Christians by eating with Gentiles so he didn't eat with them. So here's a good question. When is the last time you upset a so-called Christian because of who you ate with? <laughs> Isn't that good? Who has been upset with you because who you have eaten with or invited into your small group? You know that Jesus ate with unconverted sinners? We're not talking about Jesus eaten with another sinner that just so happened to be from another country, right? We're talking about people that were still very wicked. And he ate with them. Friends, there, isn't it true that we are, there are just certain people we, we just feel uncomfortable around? They're just not like us. So they don't wind up in our backyard with a plate of potato salad. They just don't. Their invitation gets lost in the mail. And we just won't really become friends with them. Friends, that is not living in line with the gospel. The gospel knocks down all barriers, whether they be race or class or preferences, clothes, age. It knocks down all ba barriers. Because none of our preferences make us better or make us right with God. Uh, Dr. Keller, and that's, this is from this book right here. Without the gospel, our hearts have to manufacture self-esteem by comparing our group with others. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that again because that's important. Without the gospel, our hearts have to manufacture self-esteem by comparing our group with other groups. Self-esteem as in like we're important, we're awesome, right? How do you do this without the gospel? Well, we just start, we just start saying like, well, we're really smart. We have excellent music. We don't jump around like crazy animals, right, during worship. So we're better. The, our group, this is the church to come to, right? Or maybe the, you don't really think about it with respect to church, but just your life in general. You know, we work hard. My kid could play the oboe at five, right? Not like those guys. They're, you know, uh, I'm just bet, right? So without the gospel, our hearts have to manufacture self-esteem by comparing our group with other groups, but the gospel tells us that we are unclean without Christ and all clean in him. Amen? Amen? Mm -hmm. So there are no bragging rights with the gospel. There's nothing about us that we can say, you know, God likes me a little more because I did this. Right? We, have, we all have the unmerited, undeserved, unconditional favor and love of God in Christ. Amen. So we need to get in line with the, the gospel and we need to die. In order for us to do this, something's got to die. Isn't that true? For through the law, it says in verse 19, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Let's just think about this rationally. If we don't allow someone in our backyard, it's because they are violating our law. Right? We have rules. We have laws. This is how life should be lived. Right? So, like, 
They, they're not measuring up, so they're really not allowed in our lives. They're in the peripheral. But what happens when you don't live up to your own laws, your own rules? We can't do it. We can't even keep our own rules. You know, I think it's, it's great to get up at 5 a.m. And I set out, to, you know, I want to be an early riser. I do it for three days and I break my rule. <laughs> right? If I stood before me on judgment day, I'd be judged. But Jesus says, for through the law, I died to the law. I have to because I can't keep it. Imagine the holiness of God, the goodness of God, the, everything, all of his perfections. I think I can live up to that. I can't. I die to it. For I have been crucified with Christ. All of the ways that I have fallen short, all of it has been put on Jesus, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So I need to have grace eyes, and, and I need to believe, actually believe, that my death in Christ is better. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified. Friends, Christianity is not behavioral reform. Paul wasn't simply trying to get two different groups to play nice together and eat. Something about them and us needs to die. He was trying to kill the non-gospel Jesus plus something that made them racist to begin with. Right? The idea that there is something about me, about us, that I can make stand out so that I can be impressive, so that I can have bragging rights, that I can somehow atone for my own mistakes, makes, if that's the rule that I'm under, it makes me better than the people around me that don't agree with me, right? Or don't live the, to my standards. Hmm. That needs to die. And what is hard with that death comes the death of demand for our will to be done. Because if that dies then our will dies, our, uh, the boat goes, the, the job goes, the wealth, everything's got to be submitted to God. We wind up being people who submit all of it to God, all of our will to God's. Because if you don't, here's why, if you don't submit your will to God, then your will is God. Did you hear that? If you don't submit your will to God, then your will is God. Your will is the one that you listen to, and therefore it's your Savior. And you can't be saved unless you come to Christ as Savior. So your will has to die. You see, you get it? Mm -hmm. You have to die, or you can't even understand what it means to be saved by grace through faith. We come to Jesus in faith, and that requires a death. But in that death, here's the hope comes life. Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And Christ living in me is better than me living in me. Because I don't know what I'm doing half the time. right? I'm just faking it most of the time. And if I ever do accomplish anything, I'm worried about the next challenge, whether or not I'll, fa I'll face it well, or I'll win. It just never ends. It's never good enough. But in Christ, Christ always wins. He always has the victory. And he has a prom he's promised us the assurance of eternal life and eternal love and eternal glory and eternal pleasure, even. Psalm chapter 16. Oh, we don't like that word in Christianity, pleasure. It's too, like, physical and earthy. And woo. What are you going to do with that one, right? But there is pleasure at his right hand forevermore in Psalm 16. So here's the question, friends. What part of your life needs to die? What if you said, no, God, you know, I kind of like you, but you're just around to help me pull this off. That's your real God. It's got to die. It's got to come down. You've got to smash it. 
What part of your life and will needs to die? What item or thing have you not let go of? That's your functional idol, idol friend. A loving of maybe your physical life most. It needs to die. And what comes with that, in that crucifixion, must come faith. Right? Live in line with the gospel, die, believe. Believe faith, same thing. Peter's sin, we saw this, was grounded in fear. He was afraid, right? So what was he? He was a people pleaser. Got some people pleasers up in here? Yeah, yeah I'm a people pleaser. I don't like making people mad. I like making people happy, saying things controversial. You say, you're in the wrong business, dude. I know. I know I am. Um, Peter's sin was grounded in fear. He was a people pleaser. And verse 16 is the solution to people pleasing. Let's read it. Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So what does that have to do with people pleasing? Everything. Here's why. We people please because we elevate the importance of people. Isn't that true? We think they're the most important people in the room. If we are controlled by the opinions of man, this is a form of being made right by our works, being justified by our works. If I'm in good favor with people, I'm good. Things are good if people are good with me. You see, what I'm, what's happening, whether I realize it or not, is I'm seeking to be justified by people-pleasing, by works of the law. You see? If they're happy with me, it's almost as if God is happy. I'm good. I'm safe. You see? So my job now is to keep people happy. That's my law. <clears throat> and that was, that's what justifies me. That was, that's sort of like, see, I'm, I'm good, I'm safe, I'm okay, I'm happy, right? Our desire becomes to be right with man rather than right with God. And the gospel says that we are not right with God, we are not good and safe because we keep people happy or, or we're right with them, but rather by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not Jesus plus everyone likes me. You see? To be justified, here's what this word means. The word justified, you see it a lot in the Bible. It is to be legally acquitted of guilt. Right? We're guilty of some crime. It is to be legally, it is a legal term, and it's in the Bible. Because God is the great judge. Right? And we have we are guilty of crimes before heaven and before earth, before him ultimately. To be justified is to be legally acquitted of guilt. And when we're legally acquitted of guilt, it means that the one that we've sinned against. There was something wrong in our relationship, but now we're reconciled with it. We're good again. See, we can, we're, we're in a happy relationship with God again. That's what we're doing when we're people-pleasing, isn't it? We're trying to keep our relationship intact. But, but friends, we're forgetting that the one relationship that matters most, the relationship that we need to be reconciled most, is the one with God, and we don't do it. Jesus does it. Jesus reconciles us with God. He resolves the conflict. Isn't that great? 
The gospel says these things. And you, we need to remember, too, that the controversy that's going on here between Peter and Paul is about being clean versus unclean, pure versus impure, separated from God, right? Here he makes clear that we are made clean, legally acquitted of the guilt of sin before God by faith in the death, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus plus nothing. So at the cross, Jesus took our uncleanness, our guilt, and he paid it so we would be legally washed, acquitted, and God would be pleased with us. So life in Christ isn't one of legal observance to keep God happy with us, right? That's kind of what our people-pleasing is. You know, we make a mistake, now they're mad at us again, and we've got to fix it. What about God? Is that what happens with God? God saves us, he's happy with us, but then we do something wrong and now he's mad at us again and we're separated from him? No. Absolutely not. Because at the cross, he took the uncleanness, the guilt, and washed it clean forever, past, present, and future. So life in Christ isn't one of a continued legal observance to keep God happy with us. He is happy with us on the grounds of Jesus' work. Amen? So now Paul says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So when I mess up and I sin against God, I don't try to make it right with God. I believe in Jesus again. I believe that even in that mistake, that that was covered too, and I am reconciled with God. I, and I always have been. You see? So the solution when we fall isn't to wipe our noses and do better next time. It's to trust in Jesus Christ that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul says, is this a license to sin? Absolutely not. He mentions that too. The way I continue to live my life in Jesus is not by reverting back to rule keeping, to proving myself, or making sure people like me, but, but to continually live in faith. You see? Faith is the punchline of the Christian life. And it should describe our way of living. Faith in Christ's work of redemption. All throughout the gospel it says, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. What? That God's going to give you a big pile of money? No, that he's going to accomplish his will for you. And you know what his will for you is in Christ? That his kingdom will come. And it, you'll get it. You're getting it and we'll get it. Right? <laughs> Believe that. Not that he's going to give you a wife or a husband or a new car or a brand new job. But believe that his kingdom has come and is coming. Trust it. And watch it show up. Don't fear if a brother or sister so-and-so is mad at you. Because the God of creation is not. He's pleased with you every day. But I messed up today. Well, it was covered under the blood of Christ 2,000 years ago, the moment you put trust in him. All of it. Don't worry about whether or not you'll be married because the bridegroom is preparing a place for you this moment. Don't sweat if your dad's a jerk because your heavenly dad isn't. Amen? Amen. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Everything in life 
is a dependent trust in Jesus to provide all the things that he has promised according to his will. Believe it. Live in line with the gospel. Die to yourself and believe. Amen? <clears throat> Our church needs to gather somewhere. We've been talking about this, right? Only believe. God's will is for God's people to gather and to grow in Christ. He's going to provide. Do you believe it? Can we open up our... You see, we don't always know what God's will is, but we know His will is this. My desire is that all nations be saved. Okay, so open wide your mouth and I'll fill them. Preach with boldness. And Jesus will provide the produce, right? He will provide. You see... You see, we gotta, we got to stop thinking that it's our charisma or our large bank accounts or, where, or even where we meet or what address it's at. All these things that we think is going to get people saved, Jesus is going to get people saved. God is going to do this, and he's going to provide for our needs, right? So our church needs a gathering space. God knows it, and it's God's will that people are saved around here. It is. So he's going to provide. It's his will, not ours. We then don't work for him and the church for our own glory, ego, or salvation. Right? The gospel is about God saving us. We are not doing God's work to save ourselves. We work for his glory and faith, and he will do it. We then open wide our mouths, and he fills them up. Let me close with this. <clears throat> Oftentimes... We test God. You ever test God? You know, God, do you really love me? Do you really listen to me? Hear my prayer? This, this might be the most important part of this whole message, so hear this, okay? So this is what we start to do. We start to say, you know, God, there's this thing I really want. And I'll know that you listen to me if you do this for me. Right? Isn't that true? I'll know. I'll be able to just prove, affirm with my own heart that you love me, that you hear me and care about me if you give me this or that, whatever it is, fill in the blank. So, for example, it might even be a holy, virtuous thing. We say, God, save my husband. My husband doesn't know Jesus. Save him. Save him that he might trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But you know it's true that we might be asking this for us in the sense that we're testing to see if God really cares about us it's something we want. So if God cares about me, he'll do this thing for me, right? That's the test. So God, if, you, if, if you're there, if you're listening, if you care about me, would you fill in the blank, right? But hear this. That is not the proof of God's love for you. This is gospel alignment. You know what the proof of God's love for you is? Jesus Christ. The cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus that assured you eternal life and eternal adoption of sons. That's the proof that Jesus loves you. It's not a saved husband. It's not a husband, right? That's the proof God loves you. And so often, I think that we live the Christian life testing God for it to, to see whether or not he loves us when he's already proven that to us. So when we ask God for these things, we're really not asking in faith for his glory, for his will to be done. We're asking for ourselves. And that's, that's deception. 
If God were to okay, I'll prove my love for you, Kyle, by giving you a new car. You know what? That's it's. You know what's going to happen? It's never going to be enough. I'm gonna, just going to test him again. In two weeks, that car's going to get old. My car's old, right? <laughs> that thing's got 200,000 miles on it. You know, so it's just never enough. We're always insecure. The only thing, though, that will give our hearts security and the love of God is the gospel. That Jesus died and has risen for us, for you and me. The gospel is the proof that God's that God loves us. Not how he answers our prayers, not the churches he builds, not the miracles he causes, or the works that he blesses. If Jesus is not the gift that proves God's love for you, nothing he ever gives you will ever prove his love for you. I'm going to say that again. If Jesus is not the gift that proves God's love for you, nothing he gives you will ever prove it. You'll always need something else. And friends, knowing this frees us. You want to know why? Because now we are asking for the salvation of our husband, not as a test of God's love, but because we want God's kingdom to come. We want it for him, for his glory. You see the difference? That was good. I like that. That was like the tambourine. <laughs> The only freedom to life is this. We are justified, right with God, by faith in Jesus, and nothing else. Amen? Amen? So we need to align ourselves with that. Can you close your eyes? I got something to read to you. I want to read this for you. This is a reflection on what it means that we are justified, made right with God by grace through faith. A friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, wrote this as a reflection on this promise. He says this, God's joyous response to my penitent faith in the death and resurrection of his uniquely born son, Jesus, is to forgive me all my sins and to declare, to declare me forever righteous. The penalty due me for all my sins, past, present, and future, has been paid in full by the death of Christ, and his payment is credited to me. I will never again face any penalty, any charge, any punishment, or any condemnation from God for any of my sin. Additionally, God credits me with a lifetime of perfect obedience to him. As a spouse, a parent, a child, a sibling, a neighbor, an employee, a church member, by ascribing to me the righteous life Jesus lived during his 33 years on earth. It's as if we made all the right decisions our whole lives. Jesus reverses all of it. That's my words. Despite my recurring sin, my righteous standing with God remains permanently intact because Jesus is always alive to keep it that way. And since my righteous depends, righteousness solely depends, uh, depends solely and completely on the life and ministry of Jesus, my standing with God can never be lost or diminished by my disobedience to his will. Jesus' performance alone provides all the security I need to approach God with confidence, assured of receiving his help even after I've sinned, and to approach my peers with confidence, risking their rejection or rebuke and able to face disappointments and defeats without fearing any loss of God's approval, without accepting any loss of personal esteem, and without need to rely on any form of retaliation. Oh God, we are right with you. The just shall live by faith alone. God, I pray this morning that we would die and believe 
that we would trust you. And God, hear our prayer. Give us life. Give us repentance. Let your will, your kingdom, be ours. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be crucified with you so that the life that we live, we would live by faith in Christ who loved us and gave us himself up for us. Friends, if you don't know Jesus, it's time, man. Cry out to God, God, I am a sinner. Save me. I can't save myself. Jesus died in my place for me. I trust it. I know it. And friends, if that's you, if you feel like you're coming, if you're making that decision in your heart to come by faith to Jesus Christ, would you come and tell me? I want to rejoice with you. If you're watching online, would you email us? I want to know your name. I want to celebrate. The Bible says, confess your faith before men, and I will confess you before men. God, thank you for this, this morning. Give us faith. In Jesus' name, amen.